Hi, I'm Cameron, and I don't just read comics, I love them. On today's episode of Cameron Reads Comics, my friend Russell and I are reading Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles by Mark Russell and Mike Fian. This is one of my favorite examples of DC Comics and Hanna-Barbera absolutely crushing it. This is one of my favorite comics, and I was so glad to share it with someone like Russell. Remember, there are going to be full spoilers ahead for Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles, so you have been warned. Also, stay tuned for next week's episode, where Hannah Bader and I talk about our favorite things in the year 2020. There's going to be a super special announcement, so I want to see you there. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Cameron Reads Comics, and if you liked this, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Now, here's your episode on Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles. Drama, comedy, tragedy. For the renowned southern playwright called Snagglepuss, these are the ingredients that have made him a star of the New York stage and the glittering world that surrounds it. But, the year's 1953, and behind the bright lights, darkness is brewing. Snagglepuss is gay, and his enemies are out to destroy him for it. As Snagglepuss prepares for his next hit play, there's already a target on his back. The Red Scare is in full effect, and the House of Un-American Activities Committee is hunting down every last subversive in show business. So far, Snagglepuss has stayed out of their spotlight. One by one, his best friends are being blackballed. From legends like Lillian Hellman and Dorothy Parker to his fellow Southern gentleman, Huckleberry Hound. Can Snagglepuss's reputation survive the rampage of the right wing long enough for him to stage his next masterpiece? One thing's for sure, the show must go on. Hot off his surprise hit, Reimagining of the Flintstones, writer Mike Russell joins artist Mike Fian to unleash the fire and fury of his sharp-witted political satire in Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles. A powerful look at what it means to be an American, no matter who you are. Okay, Russell, welcome. Ooh, we're going to try that again. <laughs> okay, Russell, welcome back to the Cameron Reads Comics podcast. We are so glad to have you back, Russell. Hi. Hi, glad to be here. Feeling like a, a seasoned vet now. You are literally a seasoned vet. And, and you know what's so funny is I've had a lot of conversations lately where people are like, I, I've been on the podcast multiple times, so I'm basically your co-host. And I'm like, you're in the top tier of guests. Oh, wow. I'm you, I'm honored. I think, what is this time now? I think is five. It, I'm five right now. Three Saga, one uh, uh, we Stand, stand on, on Guard, guard and now here. Oh, my gosh. And this is the first. Has this Is this the first non-Brian K. Vaughn text you've read? Not that I've, well, that I've been on here for, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. You've made me read, like, Killing Joke and stuff like that. Oh, my gosh. So. You know what's so funny um, about having you on is that, like, I'm giving you – or at least you're, or just me sharing comics with you, not even having you on the podcast outside of this platform, um, is sharing the 
Like, like what I give you to read, I think is just so not the medium. I think I've given you like two comics that really are like, you know, traditional comics, which are Batman killing joke and then Batman Superman. Oh, irredeemable. Oh, I'll that, give you irredeemable yeah, the, too. And the Batman Superman. I remember that one too now. Cause that was the one we watched the, <laughs> the we, animated movie. Yeah. Okay. Great, great. Great. It was okay. For the listeners, we, I gave Russell like, cause I obviously I love giving him saga. I love giving him stuff, but I wanted to also give him the real bread and butter comic book experience. So I gave him Batman Superman public enemies by Jeff Loeb. And, um, well, there's multiple artists, but it's the first volume. So we, I think you read, Public Enemies and which is Ed McGinnis and uh, Michael Turner did art for was there a Supergirl sure. story in what you read? Yes. Okay. Well, we have you haven't seen the movie for that yet, and we're gonna make you see the movie for that. I'm down. Okay, so we are talking about Snaggle or Exit Stage Left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles, and Russell. Number one, number one, this is okay. So I've given you a lot of comics that are unlike, you know, the rest of the medium, mm-hmm. but this one I feel like is a little different anyways. So before we even get kind of into the text, a little context, how familiar are you with the Hanna-Barbera characters in the cartoons? Um, as far as the ones in this comic, yeah, zero percent familiar. I had no clue who anyone was. That is so funny. And I'm like, I'm not a huge animation nerd, but I do kind of like we've talked multiple times, but I'm just in love with the context of all of it. Mm-hmm. So seeing this, uh, knowing who Snagglepuss was before this. And then like there's so many characters too. like Huckleberry Hound is a very famous Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Uh, the, the horse in the text was uh, his name's Quick Draw McGraw. And, uh, Oggy Doggy. I Oggy remember Doggy. the names, but I don't know the context at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that, so you weren't familiar at all. I, you know, what's crazy about this is that like, here's some publishing content, I guess. Um, so DC comics owns or is, is owned by Warner brothers. And so obviously that's why you're seeing all the DC movie universe. And that's why you're seeing, uh, a lot of the other stuff. The, um, what am I trying to say? DC owns that. And so they've done a lot of crossovers and actually like this guy, this book caught me off guard because I read it cause I heard it was really good. And you know, I'm kind of just an open-minded comic book fan. I'm like, if there's hype, like I'll read anything really. And so the, the guy who wrote this, Mark Russell wrote this, he wrote a Flintstone series. That's actually like, I started it, probably it's, it's 12 issues. I think I read the first eight. It is insane. You yeah, know, you it's his social commentary is incredible. And so seeing the direction that they take these characters just blows my mind because they did another one or at least another collab where Elmer Fudd and Batman meet. Have I told you about yeah, this? Yeah, you told me about that briefly. Yeah. That is literally <laughs> the best. I think it came out in 2017. I think that is the best single issue I read in 2017. And this one totally caught me off guard. I remember I was reading it on a flight home uh, when I, I lived in the Midwest and I'd fly home winter breaks and stuff. And I was like, okay, I got time, you know, six issues, I'll bust through it. I was like, okay, issue one's okay. And then by issue four, I'm like, oh my gosh, please plane do not land. I just need to be like immersed with this. And so, um, all of the collabs that they've done have been so crazy and so good. I just, I just wanted to let you know that. I guess there's some context. I know, yeah. I I would definitely be down to read more, especially things that maybe I'd have a little bit more of the, like the Flintstones or whatever, you know. This one was for sure, like, super, 
I think even just knowing that these are cartoon characters is is enough. You know, like I yeah, that was enough for me to okay, I get what's going on here. Um, but yeah, definitely, yeah, that's a kind of amazing. Elmer Fudd meeting Batman. Yeah, well, and you know, it's like. The way I just think about it, and and really the posture I came into with this one, it's something that like I feel like shouldn't work, but totally does. I don't I don't know how they make it work as well as as well as they do, but it it just works. Mm-hmm. And like I feel that you know when when I'm pitching this book to someone and I'm like, hey, you should really check this out. I'm like, okay, so you know Snagglepuss, the old cartoon. They're like, no, and I'm like, well, go on YouTube for two point five seconds and you'll find him. Okay, now imagine he is a the world's most famous flam- uh, playwright, <laughs> the world's most famous playwright, and he is uh, uh, going to be like associating with communists, and then they try and blacklist him, and la la la. Does that sound like a like the character you know, or like a comic you want to read? It's just like, um, I don't know. And then you read it, and it's like, what? Yeah, yeah. There, there's something sort of like almost meta about the move itself. Yeah. Because it feels like, uh, oh, like read this, read this book about like these cartoon characters acting like normal people, and you're like, what? Okay, I'll read it because that sounds super strange. And it's like that's like the the like almost reason for you to get invested in the story itself. And it feels like almost like that's a reflection of like um, the commentary on the playwrights here and, and their plays being a means. It's it's a guise of entertainment, but a means for to express, you know, the deeper value and meaning of whatever they have, their struggles and their sorrows going on. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And we're going to, we're really going to dig into that, uh, before we get into the rest of the story, how did you feel about, um, or do you know too much about the beatniks like generation or were you super familiar? Cause you were the biggest, I'd argue in my circle of friends, you are the biggest like pros enthusiast that I've ever just had the, the pleasure to talk to about just uh, great works. Well, you must not know too many people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that's true. I'm like, Russell, I literally only read books with pictures. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a snob when it comes to literature. Good. Which I don't have any right to be at all. But like, I feel like I always like jokingly say, but there's a lot of truth to it. Like, I won't read a book if it's over 50 years, unless it's over 50 years old. Uh, oh, so this was the first for you. Well, no, no, <laughs> but comic books different. It's obviously. Yeah. But uh, so the beatnik whole generation, it's it's over 50. Right. But it, it's it's close enough that I'm like, I like going into the give me give me Jane Austen. Like I need to be that far in the past. Like the closest I get is like Hemingway. And that's like, that's yeah, pretty close. Right? Is it? Is that 50? Yeah. I mean, by this point, but shoot. he's like he's like lost generation. So yeah, he's, yeah. he's not the right era i guess mm-hmm. but uh yeah so i don't really know i don't i don't i'm not researched i'm not really yeah. well read on the beatniks at all um are you is that something that yes more... yes yes um that's you know as an angsty high schooler russell has seen me through peak angst and, and multiple haircuts in mm. my years and so i think that uh, fulfilling taking a modern literature class and a kind of really wanting to be i guess alternative and just um what's the word i always it always it always comes to me just kind of like in opposition to i guess rebellious Mm -hmm. but being a rebellious teen i was looking for something that's uh contrary to culture and then obviously you stumble upon through school the beatniks and so my number one favorite is uh alan ginsburg uh and especially if you guys need a poem to read i'd really recommend he has one called america it it is in his book called howl and i was just like oh my gosh i love 
his pros and his knowledge. And then, you know, every, every young man wants to live the Jack Kerouac fantasy on the road. And, uh, I just found like this kinship to these contrarians to culture and rejecting, you know, really rejecting the pop norms. And I, and I felt that in this text. And that's why I was like, I, I think there's another kinship that I have to this, what we were reading, but, um, I should really, I should really just give you a copy just to loan is, Ed Piscor, who's actually he's kind of a comic book historian. He does like histories of of uh, events. Notoriously, he did an X Men history, which really is a is a group that needed it. But he did one on the Beats. One of his first published works was on the Beats, and I actually reread it probably last year. And it is just a visual history of like Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg, um, and a bunch. And it was it was it was really good. It's really mm. beneficial. Like uh, so, I just feel a very kin to I guess writers within this generation that this book is taking place. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I find, I find that very personal and th- and that's why I guess I really wanted to talk about this text too and, and kind of get into that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I do remember angsty cam definitely. Oh my uh, God. But yeah, that, that makes, that's great. I mean, I feel like I understand more why you like recommended this to me probably just cause, yeah. um, being within that, not that I'm, a beatnik or something but like russell is a beatnik <laughs> i i feel like i i like the those literary generations a lot and oh, i respect yeah. those you know and so. yeah and in in you and i were, i think we we're talking before we recorded but the kierkegaard references and, and the nietzsche references. and the nietzsche and i was like oh my gosh it's a little i like that i think snagopus in this text was kind of a little there was some arrogance radiating off of him oh, for sure. and, and yeah. elitism, but also just like this earnestness. And I think I, I, I think I realized in my creatives, I do like a little arrogance because you know, they double down on their perspective. And I think, you know, that's why we uh, go in and we that's why we participate in their art because I'm like, I want to hear what you have to say or like how you, how you express your belief, you know, within this. And so I think I liked that he did that. And I liked how he kind of was trying to pigeonhole other artists. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, totally. Okay. So next question, or I guess the first question always, what did you think? Did you like it? How did we feel about what we just read? Um, yeah, I would say that as I read, as I kept going, it, I liked it more and more. Like it really grew on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I became more invested in the characters. And I, I mean, I think at first you're like sort of hesitant and you're like, <laughs> it's hard to adapt to. There, there's a Snagglepuss is talking to a dog about wanting to be a playwright <laughs> right yeah. now. Like what's happening. But as it goes on, like the characters, what's amazing is how human the characters are, no matter what they're, mm-hmm. you know, form is whether or not they resemble a horse or not and they Um, even kind of touched in on that which i'm like yeah it's so it's really compelling you know and the storyline and the characters it's just very authentic um, yeah and dealing through you know the whole mccarthyism uh era Mm -hmm. that's you know important it's important to reflect upon i think while i was reading the thing that struck me the most was like how unfamiliar I was with that whole McCarthy era, really. Yeah. Like, you know, you learn about it in school, yeah. but it's not something that I've really gone out and done a ton more <laughs> research <laughs> I on. Thought you're gonna, I thought you were going to like, not something I've gone out and tried to really invest, like, <laughs> like accuse people of being communists. And I'm like, I mean, like, you probably shouldn't, but do what you want, man. <laughs> That's the only way to relate is to, <laughs> is to accuse people yourself. Um, but because, like, even, 
you know, there was a moment when I had to do a, like a, a quick um, literary research. Who's this Arthur guy? Like, when we'll get to that. But yeah, I was like, yeah. who are they talking about here? I don't know the... I don't know Marilyn Monroe's history here. What's going on? I had on? to look that up, yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, and even like moments like that, it's like, wow, like, you know, it sort of reveals how the, maybe the human tendency to forget about some historical periods that are not so bright, especially for the United States or something. So, oh, well, that kind of relates to what we were talking about, you know, in the last book we read. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. So I, I really liked it because of that, because it's like, it's so clear the, um, the analogy that's being painted. I mean, it's, it's not even really an analogy. It's yeah. kind of the same thing. Um, as that McCarthy era, but I was really invested in how the, the characters were dealing with, um, those, those issues and just that problem, you know, of mm -hmm. like the whole, um, communist scare and the blacklisting and everything like, wow, this is something that I really, I forget about. I don't really think about this often, but yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I just found that, I like that, you know, it participated with the history, you know, mm -hmm. um, in some ways we read a lot of fantastical stuff where their, their own historical narrative is built and, you know, by the writer. But this one is like really very cool because we get to see these characters that kind of, I guess, already had existed on their own in their own com or, uh, cartoons in their own lineages that they exist on their own. But now we get to see them interact with, you know, the world, maybe not as we like it, uh, but, uh, I just thought it was really cool. It was really well done. Yeah, it's it's what's really cool too is it's um it's a little bit you know, they, they quote like we'll get to the whole Arthur Miller thing, but they quote like the crucible, right? Oh I didn't even and, notice that. Oh really? We'll the get crucible? There. Oh, oh that was really cool. Yeah. Well no, can, just say no. Yeah, We're so here, he's yeah. he's um it's when they're in like that one party at the end and he's talking about um his Oh my gosh! Play, and he's like, "Oh, it's a metaphor for McCarthyism in the Salem witch trials, or whatever." I you know? I can't believe that Arthur Miller's in this, and I did not <laughs> see the allusions to the Crucible. Oh my goodness! My 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 senior year English teacher is like really yelling at <laughs> yelling at this because she listens. But <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, okay. What was I the think, quote though? I think I interrupted you. Um. Well, no, I was. It wasn't as much a quote, but it's like you think of the Crucible, and you think, okay, these are characters living in a whole different world. Yeah. But have, you know, they're analogous for um, what's going on in the McCarthy era, yeah. right? Yeah. But Snagglepuss is a little different because it's, these are characters living in the actual McCarthy era. Yeah. Just McCarthy's not called McCarthy anymore. But it's like, here's Snagglepuss, here's Richard Nixon, you know? Yeah. It's like, they're both right. It's like, here's Snagglepuss and Richard Nixon, a panel apart. That's, that's fun to see. With Arthur Miller, I just thought that was so smart and I'm really into that. Uh, oh my gosh, that, that poll. And I think you're right too. Um, I think also the buildup that you see kind of uh, is Mark Russell's response to um, that generation where he's like, when Snagglepuss says, I'm not the one on trial here, you guys are. Mm -hmm. I, oh, it was just so good. Yeah. That almost felt like the author saying like, if I was in the shoes of someone who was on trial here, what would I say that, you know, it felt like this very authentic moment of like words almost through Snagglepuss from the author, you know, what you see too. And I think what the author demonstrates really well is kind of what you're referring to as and your experience with the McCarthy era is like not being as familiar. I think what we see in this text is a very tangible, real way to uh, have 
to to gain perspective on like actual feelings that people were feeling in you know those times. Yeah, totally. Through Snagglepuss and through uh, Huckleberry Hound. Mm-hmm. Huckleberry yeah. Hound was like, okay, who's your favorite character? Because Huckleberry Hound was mine. Oh really? Oh yeah. Um, you know what? That's like I. That's pretty tough for me. I I think I enjoyed a lot of the different character arcs here. Um, it's like a three-way tie, sort of. It's who is like, it? Yeah, who are you three? It's a tie between um, Snag. I think just Snagglepuss as a character I really enjoyed. He was so charming. It I- might. It's probably honestly, it's just Snagglepuss. Yeah. Like the other two, are, but I feel weird. I want to be like super <laughs> like. I'm not picking the main character. I love, you know, <laughs> that's the constant answer I get with that question, and I'm like, let's just say it because Lauren Bear and I are like Red Catwoman, and there's pretty much there's not too many other characters in it, and it's like my favorite character is Selena, and I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, it's probably just Snagglepuss. Uh, yeah. I love the, I love the wittiness of him, and I loved the, I loved that he was kind of like a a smart ass and mm-hmm. kind of an elitist at times. Yes. But then also like so caring for his friends. <laughs> like, yeah. Here's Huckleberry Hound. Oh, I haven't seen you in a year. Right. Isn't that like the back story of that? Yeah, yeah. And then he's like, Oh, but you're like, you're my friend and here, come, let me show you around the city. And Oh, like something really bad just happened to you here. Come love with me. I insist that needs to happen. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's, that's cool. And even like the Augie Doggy part of that where he's like – he, every he, he was giving you know first chances to everyone. Everyone. Yeah. It was amazing like because he realized where he came from and his like really humble roots and he didn't – you know, he didn't leave those. He didn't be, become this total elitist who can't associate with the normal public now. He's like still talking to the random people on the street asking them questions and getting them gigs, you know. Even yeah. the uh, – the octopus dude, like, oh, you're the new, um, whatever, stage manager or whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, like that's, I, I really liked the combination of the elitist aspects with the more humble kind of caring, compassionate aspects a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's a fun fact for maybe the listeners, but Russell, for, I guess for you, you love, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. And do, yeah. did you, I don't know, do you have Hulu? Oh, you have my Hulu. <laughs> I do have your Hulu. Okay, I don't know if you watched it yet, but you need to go watch on Hulu Freestyle Love Supreme, the documentary. Okay. Because that is where Lin-Manuel Miranda got his start. Okay. It, it's it's yeah. Okay, so I used to be on an improv troupe. Big shout out to Some Assembly Required in uh, Cedar Falls, Iowa. But I was a part of that improv group, and I, I, I don't know what happened, but I got really fascinated into just improv culture. And I found that Freestyle Love Supreme is a – improvisational hip hop group. And so literally they just improv rap. They're mm. just freestyling, you know? Yeah. And you find out that Lin-Manuel Miranda was a founding member. And then he carried that over, obviously using those skills mm. and you'll see him in interviews and stuff. Go look up Lin-Manuel Miranda freestyle rap. Cause he can do it all day long. Um, but he, every, a bunch of people from that group, he brought into Hamilton and in the Heights. And like, that's how he got so successful. Mm-hmm. And so, it is so good, but you see that, you know, similarly to Snagglepuss, and I just thought a modern playwright, obviously a very popular one, mm. would be a good example. But you see Snagglepuss um, bringing along his friends. Yeah, yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? In the same way, which I think makes the work more personal, you know, and what he's doing. And, and you kind of find out the, the, the last play that he's been working on the entire time is Huckleberry Hound's story. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. I I, I love the the Lin Manuel comparison because I think you're so right. Like, you know, you, you watch Moana and Moana's dad is like George Washington. You're like, oh, really? Yeah, totally. And Look so, at this. Russell's taking me to school. And so you're like, oh yeah, like Lin's Lin's bringing on. You know, he's giving gigs to his friends because. He loves them and he's loyal to them, or at least that's what I want to believe in my no, heart. That's you know? exactly no, it, it is because you know uh, what's his face? One guy, his uh, oh my gosh, my favorite guy in freestyle, Love Supreme. He's uh, um, I, I won't remember his name. I'll look it up later. But um, one guy in that was going to be uh, who's Lamar Odom Jr. or Leslie Odom Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, who did um, he play? Aaron Burr. He was going to be Aaron Burr. Uh-huh. But he c- kind of couldn't get his act together at the time, and he lost out on that because that was who Lin Manuel Miranda intended to. But the guy mm-hmm. couldn't get his act together, and it, it, it they play it out in the documentary, and it's really well done. But it's just like he's like I have to live with that, you know? Oh, you remember that little musical called Hamilton? I didn't get to be a part of that because I I couldn't get my stuff together, and he, it's you know obviously one of his biggest regrets of all time. Yikes! But well, uh, I'm gonna have to use your Hulu to watch this thing. <laughs> The best part of Russell getting in my Hulu was that he, I was like, give him my password because, you know, that's what friends do. And then I got a, I got a notification. I was like, you know, because usually if it's only one person on it, I'll get, you know, I'll go through. But I got a notification that Karen had made an account. And I was like, it's my mother. Heck yes. <laughs> yeah. It was... And Russell's like, I would just watch on, on the Karen Miller yeah. account. <laughs> my mom was totally just like. She, I, I it was mean, like on the TV, you know. Bless her soul. She just thought Hulu appeared and was given to us by the gods. And <laughs> so she's like, oh, I'm making my account here. Karen. And so you see her, you log into the Hulu and it says Cameron or Karen. Those are the two options. And I was like, heck yeah. So that's the, every time I go on Hulu now, that's my options. And I just love it. <laughs> um Okay, next question. So actually, I want to go into Huckleberry Hound because that's my favorite character. Mm-hmm. I just thought that everything he brought to these scenes was so well done. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. when we – I think every, like as a story like catalyst, just his character moved so much stuff like forward. It added so much depth and like personality and I think that you and I talk about – or especially when we get to why the last man, but we talk about meaningful deaths within stories mm-hmm. and, um, you know, Brian K. Vaughn is obviously, we talk about his use of, you know, tragedy to propel narrative is just really well done. Um, I think Huckleberry Hound was the most perfect example of that, mm-hmm. you know, too. And I think that the, his death used to catapult Snagglepuss into giving the house of un-American activities committee, like what they deserved. I just thought that was like like chef's kiss because I remember reading that on the plane and I was like that whole scene when he's in the meeting and you know oh you guys didn't know that he was dead like all mm-hmm. of it was so well done yeah yeah I I, def- I definitely I felt like when I was reading I don't know if you felt like this but it felt to me like you know I was I was reading some like we'll use the Shakespeare analogy it's like I'm I'm reading Hamlet and I know I'm reading a tragedy. For Huckleberry Hound, I felt like the, from the moment I met him as a character, it's like, I don't know. I think something tragic is going to happen with this character here. Just the way it was set up. And, I mean, the way he's presenting himself, too, is sort of like a a deeply lonely, depressed character who was ostracized from his family and, you know, can't find love because society doesn't allow him to find love. Yeah. Um, is... I mean, I just thought that was like 
deeply tragic in a way in which it felt like, oh, this is the tragedy is going to follow through here. And when it did, when it did at the end um, with him, you know, committing suicide after he's exposed, it it felt like it had to happen in some way to to reveal the the tragic nature of that era. And and you're absolutely right that that you know because even right before uh, Snagglepuss finds out that Huckleberry Ham killed himself, he says, you know what, I'm I'm going to go play ball with these yeah. these guys because I want to save my friend, and it is. You know, there's something like moving and super tragic about, oh, it had to be through through a death and through the death of his best friend here that he was willing to actually say the things that needed to be said. Okay, and that actually brings me to one of my favorite questions. And I think one of the best characters in the story, which was um, the woman that we were following, her name, oh my gosh, I'm pulling it up right now, Gigi Allen. Mm -hmm. I thought that Gigi Allen was one of, again, I think so many characters in this story were so good. I think Gigi Allen's character was magnificent. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't. I couldn't have imagined a better character myself, and I think the real kicker is when you find out that she's um, a, either a lesbian or bisexual. But when you find out that she is literally yeah. trying to, you know, she ruins two lives pretty much in this process, and that she is someone who is, you know, I guess living in those same secrets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a moment where I sort of like, I in my heart, I wanted that to be the case that yeah. the, the hypocrisy was there, and then when it was, it's. It was so satisfying, mm -hmm. you know, because it felt like that's exactly what he uh, even with the, you know, Nixon um, mm -hmm. and the, the what's his Christian. I can never pronounce it gotcha. because come on. Too many. Too <laughs> There's many a lot of letters. Sounds yeah. all in a row. Um, but like just the that the, it's almost like two sides that are sort of similar even though they're fighting together, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and that's totally revealed through the Gigi as the McCarthy character mm -hmm. who's trying to condemn everyone um, and uses the, um, yeah, the homosexual side of Huckleberry Hound to just totally ruin him and try to ruin Snagglepuss. But then she, she shares a similarity with them in yeah. that, you know? And it's it, it was really beautifully done, I thought, yeah. showing the how these two sides... Like, she even uses her own similarity with the other side in order to condemn the other side. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And it, that's how you, I think when it comes to, like, perfect villains, I just think she was a perfect villain. Yeah. You know, when she – actually, now I just – I really want to ask, like, how did you feel about uh, the – leading into that, it, I think it led into – the most perfect, I think the raid was one of my mm. favorite scenes. I think that honestly, that might be my favorite moment of the entire thing, which yeah. is, but it's also obviously one of the deepest tragedies within the entire thing. When you see quick draw McGraw, like, you know, I think he just kind of beats the rest out of Huckleberry Hound. Yeah. And, um, like that, I think that's when he find, found, I think that, I think that was, I don't know if the public shaming was hurt him as much as quick draw McGraw, like, you know, choosing, obviously drawing his line in the sand and choosing a side. Yeah. It felt like it was, it was like the combination of maybe the public shaming, but also like the whole time he's like, Oh, I'm lonely. I I'm, I'm deathly lonely and I can't find love. And then it's like, he reaches that 
stage where he's like, oh, guess what? Like, I'm not lonely. I feel the happiest I've ever felt. And then the person who's making him feel the happiest he's ever felt kind of not only betrays him, but like literally smacks him with a nightstick, you know? Like, yeah. Um, and he, oh, he just freaking calls him the F word, smacks him with an, I was like, oh, and, and just cause it, I, I was reading digitally. I don't know if it was how, how it was set up on the page, but I, I go panel by panel when I read digitally. Mm -hmm. And so it was one panel of like, oh, nice to see you, officer. And then the next one was absolutely red, you know, mm -hmm. but the, the horse, quick drama girl was like, oh, it was crazy. Yeah. yeah. I think it was next page. Like you I was like, you, you got the surprise. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. I just think there's so many scenes in this thing yeah. that just lined up perfectly. Yeah. That was, that was a really good scene. I, I agree. Like just that whole, again, it's the like hypocrisy of, or I guess being pitted on different sides, but sharing that. I maybe yeah, it is hypocrisy, right? Cause yeah. he's, um, calling him out for the, the same thing. I mean, that, he is right or yeah yeah you know um but yeah it, just that kind of tension between the opposite sides and um the pressure you know exerted by the the police force on you know, I, I felt bad for him i felt like oh you oh, kind yeah. of you're a coward in the situation for sure but i felt really bad for him because you know there's so many external pressures on quick draw mcgraw that it's like oh wow this is a pretty nuanced situation it's not that clear cut, you know? Yeah. I think people want to, you know, I think it'd be easy to call him spineless or something, but I don't know if I feel that way about him. I think that, you know, he was, they were a new love and he was, you know, uh, he, I think on his shoulders, he had generations of his family and also just the yeah. interpersonal fear of, you know, what, what, what are these other cops going to think about me? Yeah, totally. But, but then I think we have the reward at the end where he gets busted anyways, no matter what. Yeah. It's like the futility of even putting that face on in the first place. Oh, yeah. look at that. Nice use of the word futility. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm like, wow. Thank you, Cameron. You're so <laughs> welcome. Okay. What about, um, were you a fan of the brief cameos? Of the other, how did, okay, so obviously this interacted with history, but mm -hmm. um, how did you feel about the other cameos? The Marilyn Monroe, the Joe DiMaggio, you know what I looked up is Clint Eastwood. Oh. He's the guy that got fired. Yeah, I had to verify that in my Me head. Too. The artist did such a good job of drawing Clint Eastwood, though, oh, yeah. to where, like, they had that. I was like, if this is someone, it's Clint Eastwood, right? And then yeah. I, like, looked up. Oh, uh, how did you look that up to verify? I actually looked it up and then I didn't verify, but I was like, it's Queen Eastwood well, just because they said Westerns. Well, number, yeah, when when they said that, he, I really also liked, and then this goes back to Snagglepuss's arrogance, but I like that he said there's a difference between actors and stars. Mm -hmm. And he said, I think you're going to be, a, I think you'd rather be a star. And mm -hmm. then he says, I want you to do the breathy <laughs> thing with, like that Marilyn does. And a then, pouty look. yeah, exactly. And then they're like, okay, you're going to go into the next thing we see is he's in a Western. And mm -hmm. I'm like, mm, let me look at that. And then they actually did the mole on his face just oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's really where I verified. Uh, okay. Yeah. That, but with the, yeah, that was really nice. Uh, I, they had some, <laughs> they had a little jab at Clint Eastwood too. They said something like stars are more two dimensional. <laughs> or something. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> but his... if you think about it, you're like, yeah, that rings true. <laughs> I actually have, I have a quote to read kind of cause of when him and Huckleberry Hound are on the, uh, the talk show, mm -hmm. that's actually, on here, maybe here's another question I have, but I thought this book was the most quotable. I think I just when I when I think of literally just quotable texts, I think that the language written throughout the series was just masterful. 
Yeah. Um, and so, sorry for everyone's hearing my chair squeak. You know, that's just, you know, that's budgeting on a podcast. <laughs> but with that, with, uh, you know, him on the talk show, I think he said one of the most beautiful quotes. And I, and I, I want to read it on air because I just thought it was that well done. Yeah. But it says, every character, no matter how unlikable, needs to be loved, if only by its creator. Because we're all loved, despite each of us being despicable in our own way. We are each a play unto ourselves. Uh, though alone on stage, we find consolation in those who have been played the role before us. In the end, what makes a character meaningful isn't what's unique about them, but what's common. And I thought that was such a universal theme throughout the text. Yeah. And the really, I think you're right about the, the really meta um, situation going on within the text of, I don't say goodbye, I say... I always exit the stage left or mm -hmm. um, them talking about us as a play and, you know, really leaning into what, what is art and what is um, subversive. And uh, I just thought it was really well done. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I, the, I love that theme. That's even that it's revealed in the quote of the, I guess the tragedy of man, you know, like yeah. the, the commonality and whatever you want to call it, like regret, sin, you know, yeah. wrongdoing, yeah. whatever it is, you know, like that, that, that is actually, um, the common thing that links people together, mm -hmm. you know, is, uh, that we all can relate to being the, I guess the despicable one or something like as he's talking about his characters, yes. you know, that that's what the talk show host calls them. He, he reacts against a word that, what was the word? It's like despicable or like, you know, how you're, 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 He's talking about his characters just being un completely unlikable. Yeah. You know? And oh, and he says they're not unlovable. They're despicable, but they are loved by me, right? Isn't that what he says? They're, yeah, they're loved, they're loved by me, but because us as creatures are, no matter how bad we are, we are loved by someone. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's that, yeah, it's a kind of that balance, right, of, mm -hmm. of the tension we, which I think is, you know, just true. The tension we feel in our own lives because we're in our own thoughts and in our own mind of the things that we wish we were that we're not and knowing that in spite of that and sometimes because of that mm -hmm. people are willing to you know be vulnerable and, and accept us for who we are and like that whole loving connection through brokenness i i thought was very apparent especially within the snagglepuss huckleberry hound relationship and was like i think just true you know? yeah. yeah yeah and they're they're there's something too that they can see because I think Huckleberry Hound is also maybe a really big um, example because they come from kind of the same place and maybe Snagglepuss got out a little bit earlier and he had a better yeah. better uh, deal of cards, but um, they come from the same place and maybe Huckleberry Hound is kind of really uh, a he's he's demonstrating externally what is going on in Snagglepuss internally. You know, and that's maybe why he wrote the play. And mm. you you see it. Uh, I thought that play was so good. Like the, the 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 sequence of the play going on and the trial going on was insane. Mm -hmm. I just I thought that was like when when there's a there's a panel of them taking their bows with the masks on or like the animal gear, and I just thought that was so. I was like, ah, oh, with the with the text overlapping, I was like, man, this is really. It, it hit me the same way it hit me the first time I read it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was that that was really nice and and just kind of getting the I mean they really don't even reveal that it's the play of their story till the end, you know. You see like in the beginning you see 
the blue dog nose on the yeah. one actor, but you, Clint. Yeah, yeah, but you're not really connecting it, you know, until yeah. you see both the characters on stage at the end. There, yeah, it's, it's really tastefully done. I thought. Yeah, or even like you know when he says, "Well, he's like, how can one character be like this pathetic or this pitiful?" Mm-hmm. And then he's like, I, w- "I have someone I want you to meet." And then they go out with. And, you know, for the very first time you see Huckleberry Hound, like, kind of come onto a guy and then just get punched in the face. And oh, like, yeah. Oh, brutal. And they're all like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, they're like, that's not how we do it. It's what not going to work out. <laughs> what do you say? He's like, did you just go out for a walk tonight or was it a pilgrimage of the flesh? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was like, bro, also, like, want to use that term in my life at any point. <laughs> <laughs> or is yours a pilgrimage of the flesh? I'm like, was, I was like, dang. I was like, very quotable. <laughs> Um, I have so many quotes written down from this as I just like look at my notes. Um, okay, Russell, I got a couple more questions for you and then we're just about done. Uh, probably three more. At the end of the story, Snagglepuss makes his case to the House of Un-American Activities Committee and he kind of really leans into the point of art being subversive. How do you feel about that? Do you agree with that? Yeah, um, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I think... I think so. I mean, I think in the context, you're very inclined to agree with it because it's within this McCarthy trial going on. And so, yeah, you want to. But I mean, I think so. Like, yeah, that idea of art is showing the the weakness in culture, or the weakness in the or like the, even the wrongdoings of, of culture. I mean, I think that's if you think about it like that, that feels like it's, that's true. Like that needs to be the role, the freedom of art to do so. Like, I mean, there's a lot of the one that immediately comes to mind is like 1984 or something, right? Like, um, I mean, it's showing another culture's wrongdoings, um, but, or another philosophy. Oh, um, another con- uh, no, I'm thinking of animal farm. I mean, same thing though. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't read 1984, so I can tell you. Uh, it's same principle, uh, essentially. Uh, but just that, I mean, the, those works have, have stood the test of time and are really important and are fundamentally based on showing how some system of thinking or some thing that's happening in real life is dangerous, you know? Um, and it feels like that is a the role of art to some extent. Maybe not its only role. Well, probably certainly not its only role. Um, but a role of art and to... And I think the point was to to limit or to censor art's ability to critique culture uh, never leads you down a very good path. So I don't know. I, I think that that point seems pretty valid. What did you think about that? Um, I thought that it was really, really, really well done. Um, I think that he makes the I think the I you're right about it being in the circumstances, you know, of him saying it, the 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 actions that have dictated obviously that frame of mind was really well done and I think that it's important to note that that was really well done. Um and it makes you agree. So I think that with that in particular, um he I think he makes the right point. And I think I think it is correct. It's 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 when that you try and dictate the creativity of a nation. And Richard Nixon says that in this text and whether or not entirely agree with him uh, in, in the nature of that conversation, yeah. I do agree. I do agree with how that was. A, that was an amazing conversation. That was, it was really just so good. Um, yeah. I, I think that 
Sorry, I didn't mean to railroad. No, you're good. I'm, I'm like, I, I'm still figuring out how I feel about it. But uh, with Richard Nixon talking about it and, and the rest, I just think that him in that or Snagglepuss's point being art being subversive, I think that's it. But I don't know if I, I agree that that's the only purpose. You know what I mean? Or that's the sole purpose. Uh, I right. think that it yeah. does demonstrate the culture and uh, – and it does critique, but I think that also there's points too where it celebrates, and mm-hmm. and I think that you know that's really about as much as I feel about it. Yeah, yeah, I agree that it feels like that is a role of art, but not the role of art. Maybe. Yeah, yeah and you know, but again, it's why it's why I like that character that he makes those big claims, and I wanna and I wanna hear what he has to say about it. You know, it's yeah. that's why we and again that's why we I think subscribe to art to to hear those. Uh, critical lenses, um, mm. and then and obviously why I'm I guess I'm in love with this text too because it is a critical lens. Um, okay, so how did you feel about the end when you find out that the man that he keeps visiting in the old folks' home, or I think it's like a it might be a mental hospital or, or a retirement home or yeah. whatever, you find out that that's his father. Were you surprised by that? Did you like that? Mm, I was not that surprised by that. I, I think that the text does a really good job of kind of leading you to natural places to where you can kind of see it coming, but the, the payoff is still there when you get there. It's not like cheap or anything. Yeah. So I, I think I, I sort of saw it coming, but it was, I thought the ending was really, really nice. Like I loved kind of the theme of regret that was, that was weaved in this um, text. And I love that you get that in the end with, um, his father, when he asks him, like, oh, is there something that you would say to your son now? Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's it's too late for that. But then he kind of says, he kind of, I'm paraphrasing, but says, you know, like, man, like, who can undervalue the what a son means to a father, you know? And, and kind of says that point home uh, or drives that point home of, like, man, like, I wish I would have understood that my son was my son first and foremost, and that that was foundational to, to anything. Um, and yeah, I, I, I loved that because you kind of, you get to see the truth of his father as this person with, you know, dementia or whatever it is who can't yeah. remember who his son is, um, at least the older version of his son. And so there's a, an honesty and authenticity about that. And you see that in his character that he's very like, um, not PC. I don't know. He's yeah, very yeah. like uh, uh, harsh with his words at times, um, but brutally honest in revealing who he is. But then at the same time, you can hold that in, in the balance with, and even though like he was probably a really bad father in a lot of ways, you can still see, oh, but he, he has regret in there. Yeah. And he wishes he could have done a few things differently. I, I love that. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm like, I'm always trying to guess piece my words together here with you, but um I think I agree obviously that uh it ties it back into the theme of kind of the quote I read where it's like, you know, nobody is quite despicable because they are loved. You know what I mean? Cuz mm, I think yeah. no matter what he still loved his father to the mm, point where yeah. we we saw it demonstrated and you you see that he was rejected uh by him, but his father was regretful about how, I guess, their relationship, you know, the, the turn that it took. Yeah. So that that was really cool to see. I liked it. Um, and I'm also glad that he kind of 
we got to see him be this larger than life character, obviously in the public eye. And then we got to see the, the, this story did a really great job of kind of uh, fulfilling the promises that it gave us because he, at the very beginning, he says, you don't know who a person is. Uh, they don't, they love me, but they don't even know me. Cause you don't know who a person is until you see like all sides of them. And then we got to see him be the larger than life play, right? We got to see him be a, a best friend. And then we kind of got to see him be a son. You know, mm-hmm. so we saw all the sides of him. Yeah. And I think that's why I guess we have a more for full picture of why we like him and we understand him. Um, so I thought that that scene was I think it was necessary. Yeah, that's really good, too. That that even reminds me of the the part where he's talking to Marilyn Monroe, mm-hmm. um, just like privately. And it, as on his way out, he says, like, oh, thanks. And, she, and she, or something like that. And then. He's like, thank you for letting me see your full self, essentially, yeah. is what he says to Marilyn Monroe. And it's like, oh, yeah, that you can see that's what he values. And as a reader, we are getting to slowly see the full self of Snagglepuss as the the comic goes on, which, yeah, I think that's that's really nicely done. Yeah, and I think that we got to see that a little bit better, too. I thought that... The- I, I think the Joe DiMaggio, Marilyn Monroe thing, I think there there could have been room for us to really not like it. Mm-hmm. But I think it was really well done because because of a moment like that, you know, where I also really, really, really just loved it when he said, oh, have fun with basketball. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. that was just so good. But um, I think that that moment could have been a little too much fan service, but I don't think it was. I think it, it, it walked that line very delicately and, and landed on its feet. Well, what I what I loved about the Joe DiMaggio part, too, is he's not really necessarily talking. I mean, he is talking about him being a famous baseball player, but one of the main things that he's driving home is Joe DiMaggio talking about his parents being immigrants and feeling like he doesn't belong. You know, like that's not, that's not normative baseball knowledge of Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, that's you not know, how like, we think about him. Exactly. So I, I love that because it was like, I, I did a little research of Joe DiMaggio. Like, oh. What the heck? Um, like, oh yeah, his parents were immigrants from Italy or whatever it was. And, um, that was really nice to take a, a a famed, beloved, you know, American icon that makes it into the song Mrs. Robinson, like you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, and then just to like humanize him and yeah, to um, say, oh, he feels like he doesn't belong here. And it's it was and with the Marilyn Monroe thing too of humanizing Marilyn Monroe and oh, I feel like I just need to be this icon to everyone. I'm just this symbol on Marilyn, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it did a good job of not just being fan service of, Oh look, famous people, but like actually contributing them to the the larger theme of what was going on. Okay. Russell, last question. What would you rate this story out of 10? Very good question. I thought about this. I, I don't remember what I like rated past things and I want to like put it within my, you're so funny. You know what? You don't have to do that because the way I think about this is I take the story for what it is. And like the story that it went out to tell, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I'm like, cause I'm like, I've given saga tens. I've given my, my favorite 10 I've given probably is unbeatable squirrel girl. I think that's also a 10 because you know, the story that it set off to tell, they did that well. Mm-hmm. So honestly, snaggle yeah, was a 10 yeah. for me. I was going to be like, uh, 9.2 upon the first couple issues, but then, you know, you hit it deeper at the very end, and I'm like, 
that's perfect. I'm like, it's, I, I think this story was perfect. And it, it was, I was so surprised by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think, I, I think this is very much along the lines of this story had no, no right being as good as it was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'll go 8.9. That's my, <laughs> that's my ranking. Cause I'm pretty sure like I gave Saga like not a 10, like a 9.5. Yeah. And I'm still cognizant of that. Yeah. I can't, I can't grade it above Saga. That's okay. But, uh, it's, I was thoroughly, I mean, it did a really good job of like creeping up on you of like, okay, I'm reading about cartoon characters. Oh, wait, all this crazy stuff's happening. Yeah. And it relates to like, oh, here's Richard Nixon. That's crazy. You know, and yeah. here's Joe DiMaggio. And I, <laughs> I love that. And, and like the kind of just the theme of, of everything that was, you know, the, the subversive, you know, art and all that stuff. Um, love that. Love yeah. That. Yeah. And it, this is. I just think that it is one of the holy grails of, you know, indie comics. Like, I just, you know, it, 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 the principle, I feel like, of this story is almost silly, but then it is executed so well. Like, it, it, it takes a, a, a concept that could have been very silly, and it takes it so seriously, and it's a case of that. When you treat something, you know, when a creator is treating their characters like they matter, mm-hmm. I'm... I'm invested, you know, I'm like, wow. And so he, he, I've been actually reading a bunch of his stuff. He's been doing a couple Batman comics lately that have just like one single issue stories on, if you guys have DC universe or DC universe infinity, and they are doing digital exclusive Batman comics. And this is, and Mark Russell has been kind of tackling some of them and they're pretty good. So check it out. He did the Flintstones and he did uh wonder twins that I'm actually going to read because that is, yeah, another silly kind of character, but I think he's gonna like just blow blow me away. Hmm. Very nice. Yeah. So there we go, Russell. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We're always so glad to have you. Um, for my listeners, please stay tuned for next week when we are gonna have Hannah Bader back on the podcast to go over our favorite things of the year. So you're not gonna want to miss out on that. And you want to hear that episode because we have a very, very exciting announcement. So stick around. It's going to be very cool. And then always remember to go follow Cameron Reads Comics on Instagram. And please, please, please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. That will help me out. And that will help Russell get some more comics in his hands. Once again, Russell, so glad to have you. Um, Hope to have you back soon. And actually, we are talking about what you're going to read next. And it is going to be... Big blockbuster comics. So thank you, Russell. See you soon.